Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Intercepted. I'm Jeremy Scahill coming to you from New York City, and this is part six of an Intercepted special, American Mythology, the Presidency of Donald Trump. This is the most important election in the history of our country. And people have to get out and vote because what they want to do is crazy. We will never allow this country to become a socialist nation. And that's what they're trying to do. During the 2016 election, Donald Trump regularly criticized Hillary Clinton for her relationship with Wall Street and, in particular, her paid speeches to the investment bank, Goldman Sachs. I know the guys at Goldman Sachs. They have total, total, total control over him. Just like they have total control over Hillary Clinton. They have total. But they have no control. They have no control over Donald Trump. I don't want their money. I don't need their money. While many progressives, including Clinton's Democratic primary opponent, Bernie Sanders, also blasted her Wall Street ties, Trump's attacks often utilized some unsavory tactics. He claimed in one of his many anti-Semitic dog whistles that Clinton's past support of trade agreements like NAFTA and the TPP proved she was a globalist. Hillary Clinton is merely a vessel for those global special interests trying to strip our country of its wealth, its jobs, its status as a sovereign nation. And we have been stripped. Folks, we don't make anything anymore. We don't make anything. We're going to start making things. We're not going to let countries like China devalue their currency and have trade deficits of $400 and $500 billion a year. We're not going to let it happen. She's a globalist who makes a living taking jobs from our country and giving them to foreign countries. Trump claimed that unlike Clinton, He was not beholden to corporate or special interests and that he wouldn't abandon the working class. You have one magnificent chance to deliver justice for every forgotten man, woman and child in this nation. The arrogance of Washington, D.C. will soon come face to face with the righteous verdict of the American worker and voter. Believe me, it's enough. Protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations. In his inaugural address, reportedly written by Steve Bannon, Trump described an economic hellscape that for many Americans was a reality. Mothers and children trapped in poverty in our inner cities 
rusted out factories scattered like tombstones across the landscape of our nation. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. America will start winning again, winning like never before. We will bring back our jobs. We will bring back our borders. We will bring back our wealth. And we will bring back our dreams. We will build new roads and highways and bridges and airports and tunnels and railways all across our wonderful nation. We will get our people off of welfare and back to work rebuilding our country with American hands and American labor. Claiming he would spur economic growth and bring back manufacturing jobs, Trump promised to end NAFTA, pull out of TPP, close trade deficits, pass a massive tax cut, and invest in the nation's crumbling infrastructure. That's what he said. But my colleague Naomi Klein warned early on that in examining Trump's business dealings, we would get a glimpse into what he might actually do with the U.S. economy. What Donald Trump has done as a businessman, you know, how he has run his incredibly opaque company, um, the number of bankruptcies, the number of ripped off workers and contractors. I mean, he so consistently sacrifices his own investors, his, uh, you know, his own partners, and just looks out for number one. You know, when there are problems, and there are very often problems with Trump developments, whether, you know, if, if it's not on time, if it's, um, if people aren't able to, these are often revenue properties, if they feel that they've been lied to, whatever happens, and there have been several collapses, Trump is not responsible, right? The liabilities are held by these business partners to whom he's just leased his name. Um, so if the U.S. government is run anything like the Trump uh, organization, expect to be looted. The looting began on day one. Trump appointed Gary Cohn, the president of Goldman Sachs, to be his chief economic advisor. Contrary to Trump's beratement of Clinton during the primary about the bank, there were more Goldman Sachs alumni working for Donald Trump than any other previous administration. This is the president of Goldman Sachs, smart. Having him represent us, he went from massive paydays to peanuts, to little tiny. I'm waiting for them to accuse him of wanting that little amount of money. They wanted that. But these are people that are great, brilliant business minds, and that's what we need, that's what we have to have, so the world doesn't take advantage of it. We can't have the world taking advantage of us anymore. Reporter Gary Rivlin also described Trump's early moves that not only didn't benefit ordinary people, they enriched the very players he accused Hillary Clinton of cozying up to. You know, they talk about a different approach to infrastructure, the $1 trillion infrastructure plan. It's kind of left, right, middle. Everyone understands that we need to be dealing with our infrastructure problem in this country. But the Goldman Sachs plan, the plan that Gary Cohn gave uh, President-elect Donald Trump when he was just Goldman Sachs' president meeting with Donald Trump before he was named to the White House, he said, you know, 
why don't we put up a little bit of money, in this case, a couple hundred billion dollars of government money, and the rest will be private financing from Wall Street firms. And guess what? Firm is among the three or four largest in the public infrastructure business. Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs is huge in IPOs. When Gary Cohn was president of Goldman Sachs, he was lobbying to loosen the initial public offering laws. Well, six months into the administration, the SEC has loosened the IPO rules, which is worth hundreds of millions of dollars to Goldman Sachs alone. And so here was the president who said, I'm going to represent you, little guy, because it's the big firms like Goldman Sachs that are draining uh, the economy, that are enriching themselves at your expense. And in the position as to head his economic policy team is a guy who, down the line, you look at every policy, is trying to perpetuate the Goldman Sachs of the world, the Wall Street firms, draining the economy at the expense of the little guy. If you voted for Trump because, wow, someone's going to finally fight for the little guy, and it's not just like the president of Goldman Sachs is the chief economic advisor, but one of the main villains in the subprime meltdown is now your guy to help turn around the economy. I I actually think one of the reasons Donald Trump won uh, is because there are a lot of Tea Party people on the right who are really angry at Wall Street for what happened in 2008. And so taking one of those main villains and putting him to top your economic team, I think it really infuriates people. And I love all people, rich or poor. But in those particular positions, I just don't want a poor person. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? If you insist, I'll do it. But I like it better this way, right? Indeed. Here's former Goldman Sachs executive turned whistleblower Nomi Prinz. If tax cuts go through for companies, it it will help those people who are already stashing money not to bring it back and to basically enrich themselves. It will help, you know, people with wealthy estates preserve it for their families. And the point is, those are the people that are actually affecting the tax code and are in the offices and are in the dinners and are in the meetings and are at the golf courses um, with the individuals who are trying to push on to everybody else the idea that their plans will be beneficial to them. Despite Donald Trump's promotion of himself as a billionaire and business genius, He was never really accepted into the club of New York's financial elite. As filmmaker Michael Moore observed, Trump was sort of seen as an ostentatious and tacky wannabe. Trump was always treated very poorly by the uber-rich of New York City. Um, Wall Street didn't like him. The big banks didn't like him. And he always felt slighted by them. They treated him as if he was like uh, the trailer trash of millionaires. And uh, from Queens, they'll talk like he was from Queens, you know, the whole thing. Um, And they certainly were not that excited about him running. They immediately figured out how he could be a useful tool for them, for capitalism. And that's why not only has there not been a peep out of them since he gave them their tax cut and has done all the other things in terms of cutting EPA regulations and things that we don't even know about that happen on a daily basis in each federal government department um, because you just could never keep up with it if you actually knew what was going on every day. That two weeks ago, they got you got rid of the, the department at the EPA that's responsible for the environmental health of children. Fired the woman, got rid of the people. That's it, gone. Hardly anything on it in the news. You have no idea how many millions of acres of land he gave away today to the oil and gas companies. This happens every single day 
and he is doing the work now of Wall Street and the big banks in corporate America. And they are the main beneficiaries of what he's doing to dismantle from inside the federal government. In November of 2017, Trump signed into law the innocuously named Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which was the largest tax overhaul in over three decades. It cut the corporate tax rate from 35 to 21 percent. While Republicans claim that this $1.9 trillion cut would, quote, pay for itself, the Congressional Research Service found that it had, quote, a relatively small, if any, first-year effect on the economy. I love the tax bill. I think the tax bill had an important impact on the economy. It's the largest, I always say the most massive, but it's the largest tax cut in the history of our country and reform, but tax cut. Really something special. When you think you haven't heard this expression, but we are making America great again. You haven't heard that, have you? Unsurprisingly, these tax cuts are projected to worsen economic inequality, according to the Congressional Budget Office. Job and wage growth have plateaued. When some cuts expire in 2025, the poorest Americans will see an increase in their taxes. Meanwhile, 91 of the top Fortune 500 companies paid $0 in corporate income tax in 2018. This growing inequality ultimately undermines democracy, says economist and former Bernie Sanders advisor Stephanie Kelton. Income, but also wealth inequality in this country is at dangerously high and essentially historically high levels. And that this is not just bad for the way that our economy functions, it's extremely dangerous when it comes to the way our democracy functions. Even though it's a progressive tax system, that is, you pay a higher share of taxes as your income increases. Even though we have a a progressive income tax system, it's not nearly progressive enough. And we ought to be doing more to correct those imbalances that allow the people at the very top to become so extraordinarily rich that those riches then hinder the working of the economy and undermine the functioning of our democracy. While 8 million more people have slipped into poverty during this pandemic, the wealth of billionaires grew by $845 billion. Under my leadership, prosperity will surge. What we've done in the last three and a half years has been incredible. Nobody's ever done what we've done. There is no administration that's accomplished what we've accomplished in the first three and a half years. Not even close. Donald Trump has presided over the worst job losses in U.S. history. A 50-year low in unemployment has vaporized. Only about half of the 22 million jobs lost because of coronavirus have returned. As of September, nearly 3.8 million people have been classified as permanently unemployed. About 26 million people are collecting unemployment. Trump's trusty advisors at Fox & Friends have told Trump focus on the pre-pandemic economy. And essentially the best message is President Trump built a great economy. Then COVID screwed things up and 
President Trump is better at rebuilding than Joe Biden. That's the message they would like to see. But here's the thing. Countries that were better able to control their outbreaks have not suffered as much economic pain, according to analysis by the Financial Times. Unprecedented inequality and stagnant wages have persisted. Fewer Americans currently have health insurance than when Trump first became president. These sharp economic injustices have come into clear focus during the coronavirus pandemic, as corporate robber barons like Jeff Bezos have become much wealthier, while 40% of Americans couldn't withdraw $400 right now if they had to. Filmmaker, author, and organizer Astra Taylor underscores the consequences of a government captured by minority interests. I mean, it's interesting because you could have a conversation that's like, this is going to be difficult given the American political system and the number of veto points and the way that it's structured and the way that money is a form of political speech. And the fact that we essentially have a system, an electoral system where bribery is legalized in terms of campaign contributions, right? You could say there are lots of obstacles in the way of this. That's not how they're framing this. So, I mean, I think there probably is something deeper. There's a threat to their authority, right? And to the system that helped them rise to power and stay in power. Thinking about democracy writ large, I mean, there's a bigger thing they're afraid of, though, because what this means to have universal health care is to decommodify this huge industry. And it's to connect decommodification with democratization. Maybe there are huge areas of social life that should not be not just subjected to the market extremes, but actually taken off the market completely. Right. And that's very threatening to the status quo, because once you start decommodifying one area, well, why not others? Despite the brazen economic disparities in the U.S., the obscene profits being reaped by the richest corporations and people and the avalanches of so-called stimulus cash rained down on the already wealthy, Trump continually reassured the American public Just look at the stock market as proof of our collective prosperity. The stock market is hitting an all-time high record for another, and think of this, 86 times since Election Day. 86 times it hit a record. 86 times. And we're going to keep it going. Only roughly half of Americans own stock, while the richest 1% own 50% of stocks. Again, former Goldman Sachs executive Nomi Prinz. Trump connects everything to the stock market because it is the one thing that you can objectively look at that has a number that has gone up. You can't do that with wages. You can't do that with job quality. You can't do that with job longevity. You can't do that with health coverage. You can't do that with lots of other things that most people count on um, for their day-to-day lives and to make the day-to-day payments and money that they need to survive them. But what the stock market shows is, is not... Not the expectation that there was going to be a tax cut. What the, what the stock, which is what he's saying, what the stock market shows is that for all of this period, and it happened during Obama as well, and yes, it's continued under Trump, there's been a situation where companies have been able to receive 
very cheap money because our rates are close to zero and they have been since the financial crisis in order to subsidize the money that was lacking at the time for the banking system. That money has gone to banks. Banks have bought back their own shares. Banks pay themselves dividends on their own shares that they bought. That pumps the stock market up. That's a significant set of buyers for their own stock, which enriches the top level of those firms. And it also pushes the stock market up. And then they also get dividends on their own stock. So all of that um, is more why the stock market has continued continued to rise throughout Obama's administration, as well as um, with Trump in there now, because nothing has been done to effectively change that. Proponents of the 2017 tax cut promised that companies would have more money to invest in workers and capital improvements that would, in turn, spark greater economic activity. Instead, The corporate tax cut went mainly to stock buybacks, rewarding shareholders and investors. Recent data from the Census Bureau suggests that the pre-pandemic economy under Trump was growing above 2% annually, but disproportionately benefiting wealthier Americans. The data also reveals that even before the global pandemic, inequality reached its highest level in 50 years. But as journalist Chris Hedges points out, it's a trend that has been moving in that direction for decades. The fundamental engines of oligarchic global corporate power are advanced by both parties. And one attempts to present that in a kind of multicultural, inclusive way. The other is, you know, it, it kind of embraced by troglodytes. But you, there's no way within the American political system you can in any way tame or challenge the war machine, or Goldman Sachs, or ExxonMobil. And this is now where we've ended up in, in the greatest income inequality in American history, the, the seizure of power by, and they're not even traditional capitalists. They don't make anything. They're all speculators, global speculators. That's what Goldman Sachs does. They've seized control of our economy and most economies. The breakdown that we experience has been bipartisan, uh, Clinton was, of course, the poster child for this. Clinton understood that if he did corporate bidding, he would get corporate money. And, of course, by the 1990s, fundraising parity with the Republicans was equal. And uh, when Barack Obama ran, first ran in 2008, he got more. So we've got to look at the structural issues. I mean, I find Trump as repugnant and repulsive as everyone else. Uh, but our problem is not embodied in the personality of Donald Trump. Coronavirus laid bare the precariousness of the lives of so many people in the U.S. When the first known person in this country died from the disease on February 29th of this year, nearly 60% of Americans had less than $1,000 in savings. Half of Americans over 55 had zero retirement savings. Medical debt contributes to millions of bankruptcies every year. One in four Americans were defaulting on their student loans. A month after the first known U.S. coronavirus death, Donald Trump signed into law the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, better known as CARES. Now I'm going to sign this, and it's a great honor. $6.2 trillion. I've never signed anything with a T on it. I don't know if I can handle this one, Mitch. We can't chicken out at this point. I don't think so. It was the largest economic stimulus in U.S. history. 
We also have a lot of money set aside for big businesses, you know, the big, powerful companies that were powerful four weeks ago. We have to save some of these great companies. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was the only Democrat to say publicly that she voted against the bill, which was done via voice vote. Speaking on the House floor, she described how the GOP used poor and working people as hostages to free hundreds of billions of dollars for the richest corporations. What did the Senate majority fight for? One of the largest corporate bailouts with as few strings as possible in American history. Shameful. The greed of that fight is wrong for crumbs, for our families. And the option that we have is to either let them suffer with nothing or to allow this greed and billions of dollars, which will be leveraged into trillions of dollars, to contribute to the largest income inequality gap in our future. There should be shame about what was fought for in this bill and the choices that we have to make. The poorest Americans were essentially expected to survive on $1,200 for six months during the pandemic. Congress and Trump also allowed the enhanced unemployment payment of $600 to expire in July, slashing aid during the pandemic to about $330 a week. Of the $350 billion earmarked for small businesses in the Paycheck Protection Program, 70% of it went to large corporations, including Boeing, whose stock is owned by at least 15 members of Congress or their spouses. Most notably, the airline companies that received a $25 billion bailout have recently announced that they are laying off tens of thousands of workers. HuffPost senior reporter Zach Carter specializes in U.S. economic policy. The trick is, when you look at what they've done in the overall coronavirus bailout package— They have been extremely, extremely generous with the wealthiest people in the world. The feature provision of the major piece of legislation that has already passed is $4.5 trillion to large corporations with almost no strings attached. That is money that goes straight to shareholders and executives. That is money that is going to the richest people in the world. And there's really no kind of guardrails that Congress put on that funding to make sure that it's used responsibly. So... On the one hand, they talk a lot about means testing, making sure that ordinary people, you know, we don't have too many lucky duckies who are making like $70,000 a year accidentally getting a $1,200 check. But the richest people in the world, if they get, uh, you know, a multi-million dollar dividend payout, that's just fine. There's broad majoritarian support for progressive social policy. This is what the people, the demos want. And we've entered a phase where that's sort of Undeniable, if you just look at the numbers. As Astra Taylor explains, it doesn't have to be this way. The problem is actually that we're living in an age of minoritarian politics, minoritarian control. You see that very strongly with the GOP and the fact that they want a politics of hierarchy, basically a return to aristocracy, right? They're willing to gerrymander and and disenfranchise voters. You know, they absolutely don't want people to go out and vote. But we see it with the Democrats as well. Right. We see that they want to tell their constituencies, sorry, you can't have these things that are not only popular, but actually pretty commonplace in other industrial democracies. People's complaints are pretty universal. It's like corruption. 
massive inequality, the lack of workers' rights, the lack of concern for the environment, just a lack of basic dignity. Democracy is not just procedures and elections. It is this moment where people come together as a kind of politicized, philosophical public and are like, what kind of world do we want to live in? From the very beginning, Donald Trump's entire shtick about standing up for the downtrodden, the hard workers, the ordinary people of this country, was a scam. One nonstop four-year grift. Trump has used his political career and his time as president to enrich himself and his cronies. But more than that, he has served as a Pied Piper for the most extreme anti-worker, anti-poor agendas of the Republican Party. And he dug deep into the well of the most vile aspects of U.S. politics and history to win power. It was this weaponizing of hate that allowed Trump and his allies to manufacture the state of grave danger that so many poor and working people now find themselves in in this country. The extreme economic injustices of the past four years were produced on the rhetoric of white nationalism, xenophobia, racism, sexism. But simply voting Trump out of office will not wipe any of this away. Many of these factors, while intensified during this administration, have persisted through both Democratic and Republican administrations. Both parties are beholden to corporate interests, even if one is more brazen and successful at producing dividends for the ultra-rich. The hard truth we must all face is that the political and economic system that Trump has exploited and utilized will continue on in perpetuity unless the people of this country bravely muster the collective will to challenge its very existence. This has been part six of an intercepted limited documentary series, American Mythology, the Presidency of Donald Trump. Over the past week, we've been releasing an episode each weekday, focusing on a different aspect of the Trump presidency and digging into the history and context of the actions of this administration. Make sure to tune in tomorrow to part seven of this series, where we'll take an in-depth look at Donald Trump's policies on the climate. American Mythology, the Presidency of Donald Trump is an intercepted limited documentary series. You can follow us on Twitter at Intercepted and on Instagram at Intercepted Podcast. Intercepted is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our lead producer is Jack DeZidoro. Our producer is Laura Flynn. Elise Swain is our associate producer and graphic designer. Betsy Reed is editor-in-chief of The Intercept. Rick Kwan mixed the show. Transcription for this program is done by Lucy Croning. Our music, as always, was composed by DJ Spooky. Make sure to tell your friends and foes about this series and tune in tomorrow for Episode 7. Until then, I'm Jeremy Scahill. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.